I stared at the long shadows cast by the scarecrows. A gust of wind bent the stalks, making the shadows roll forward like a dark ocean wave, and then I saw the scarecrows start to twitch. Under the light of the full moon, I stared in horror as the dark scarecrows started to move. Their arms jerked, their burlap heads lurched forward, all of them in unison. All of the scarecrows were jerking, twisting, straining, as if struggling to pull free of their stakes. Hello, and welcome to Say Podcast and Die, the podcast where two queers sit in their closet and tell you about goosebumps. And today we're telling you about one of the goosiest of bumps. Yeah, I'm Alyssa. Oh yeah, I'm Andy. And today we're telling you about the book Goosebumps number 20. We're finally at Big big 2-0. Wow, our podcast can almost ring. Yeah, the scarecrow stalks at midnight. No, walks at midnight. (laughs) Ah, I knew I was going to screw it up because I keep thinking of the... The celery stalks at midnight. I always do too. The Benicula book. The scarecrow walks at midnight. One of the most memorable covers, I think even those of us who weren't major Goosebumps heads, that like I was talking to a friend of the show, Rebecca, and she did not read these books as a kid, but she remembered this cover. Oh, interesting. It is a night scene. There's a full moon illuminating a purple sky, and in the foreground we have a scarecrow surrounded by corn, and the corn is sort of shaded in blue and orange. I do have to say, the face of the scarecrow reminds me of an angry pug. Oh, it kind of does, yeah. yeah. But also it's really sinister. Like, that's yeah. what he's, scared me the most. Yeah, I mean. he looks like he's coming for us. Mm-hmm. He can just figure out how to get down. And the tagline. It's a field of screams. So I went and looked up Field of Dreams, which is not a movie I've seen. I mostly know it from it references to it in Wayne's World 2. I have seen it because... For some reason, so I went, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I went to a Catholic high school. And for some reason, in freshman religion class, we had to watch Field of Dreams. <laughs> they made an analogy about, it's this is like faith. He was told to build a field, a, apparently a baseball field in his corn. And he did it. And then he was rewarded. Kind of like Noah, but he was rewarded with everybody else dying. <laughs> the only connection I could make, from what I could figure out from the Wikipedia page, it seems like it's a movie about idealizing childhood innocence and sort of nostalgia for that time. Mm -hmm. And this book is the exact opposite. (laughs) We have someone who is currently a child who is trying to hold on to an imagined childhood that would be better and more innocent and more nostalgic. But actually, she's kind of just realizing that everything around her is horrible. I guess we should get into some detail. Yeah, absolutely. Bird's eye view. We follow Jody and her brother Mark who are going to their grandma and grandpa's house for the summer. They are city kids, we're told a lot of times, and their grandparents have a farm in a rural area. We're really going to have to get into this. They have a man they've hired named Stanley who works on their farm, and he has a son named Styx. Like the thing that comes from trees and not like the band. (laughs) So Jody and Mark are really excited to get there. But when they do, their grandparents seem really different. They seem quieter. They seem frightened. Stanley is always saying cryptic things like the scarecrow walks at midnight. And he's very obsessed with the book of superstitions that he has. He makes them do things like circle around the barn three times before they go fishing for good luck. At night, Jody and Mark think they see the scarecrows wiggling and trying to get off their stakes. They think it sticks, so she and Mark go to pull a prank on him where they dress Mark up as a scarecrow. It turns out the scarecrows are really coming to life. Stanley had brought them to life using his superstition book, and it had so scared their grandparents that they're just trying to give him everything he wants. Uh, Basically, they burn the scarecrows, and he promises never to do it again. Yeah, Styx burns them all down, living up to his very metal-sounding name. Yeah, and hair. Okay, so this book was cool as heck. I'm glad I finally finished it. As I mentioned in the last episode, when I was a kid, I could not finish this book. Basically, once I got up to just a few chapters in, which is the passage that I read in the opening to this podcast, the very first scene where the scarecrow started moving, I just got too scared and was like, this is not the book for me. Aww. Yeah. Do you know what it was about it? I mean, I know you were afraid of inanimate objects coming to life and judging you for not taking good care of them. Do you think it was related to that? Well, I was very scared of all of the dolls in my room and stuffed animals, that they were resentful that I wasn't spending enough time on them and that they were going to come and get me in the night. But I think another thing that really struck me about that image was just this idea that you could be surrounded by things that you didn't know had evil intentions and were really well organized 
it scared me in the same way that that one episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns and Homer are trapped in the cabin yeah. during the avalanche or after after the avalanche. They imagine that they have a snowman army, uh, <laughs> Mr. Burns does, versus Homer's army of various political figures. Mm-hmm. And I thought Mr. Burns's imagined snowman army was like the scariest thing, especially when he says they're not snowmen. They're real men made out of snow. <laughs> I know it was supposed to be funny. I was just haunted. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about what that fear is standing in for. (laughs) I think it's just thinking that you are by yourself and then finding out you're surrounded by things you didn't know could hurt you. That's why it's good to be anxious. You're always worrying about everything. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, Alyssa, you flagged at the top of this that we are going to have to talk about Stanley. And yeah, this is a real classism watch episode. We're taking a venture into what gets called real America sometimes. And we are going to look at a couple different versions of rural life and the ways that socioeconomic disenfranchisement manifests in resentments and anxieties. And it's really messed up. Earl Stein went for it with this book. He sure did. We meet our narrator, Jody, who's 12, and her brother, Mark, who is 11. Mark has a bag full of cassettes and game cartridges. He has 30 cassettes for his Walkman and 50 game cartridges for his Game Boy. That is a, someone you want to know. There's also a lot of excess here, right? Because you can't play 50 games in whatever a month that they're spending there. Later, we'll see with Food Watch, they keep asking for more food, and sometimes they're being given more food. There's a lot going on, and I want to talk about it when we do the Real America talk. Cool. Um, they're being picked up from the train station by Stanley, who is the, quote, hired man that works on their grandparents' farm. He's described as being not very smart, but also friendly. This explanation of him just kept getting worse and worse. I kept Mm -hmm. thinking, oh no, they're going to go for it. This is going to be the stereotype of the disabled person who is evil and vengeful. No, it can't be that. Yes, it is that. Oh shit, it is that. We get a dynamic similar to what you get in Turn of the Screw, actually. So it's partly about disability because he seems to have some kind of intellectual uh, disability. And it's partly about classism. And both of those things together take what would normally be an adult-child relationship between Stanley and Jody, where Jody is the sort of subordinate, right, Mm -hmm. to the adult. And it flips it. So there are ways in which Jody feels superior to Stanley and, like, she actually gets to direct him. Yeah. And that creates these kind of uncomfortable scenarios where it seems like lines are being crossed. For example, Stanley compliments Jody on how she looks, and then he gets embarrassed and turns red. Mm-hmm. And so Turn of the Screw has similar kind of anxieties about once one set of hierarchies gets blurred, then maybe all these taboos and transgressions will start to happen. Yeah, and then the other thing that's interesting is, so we don't really get more specific than hired man, but I, w- I was presuming that he is hired to do farm work, but he's also being sent to pick up the farm owner's grandkids and spend time with them, things like that. He's doing a lot of emotional labor for other people's spawn. And he doesn't seem to have set hours that he works or Mm -hmm. a set job description. They seem to just ask him to do whatever they they want him to do whenever. The descriptions of him are really weird. It says he reads the dictionary for hours. And he doesn't age. He's skinny like a noodle. He wears overalls five sizes too big, which, I mean, that's just fashion in 1994, but still. (laughs) And this is the first time we get an adult's age. He's 40 to 45. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got a range. But that's really specific. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like when I was a kid, I thought about 40 to 45 as a meaningful age category. You know, but this... This is also a book that's very concerned with aging, especially when it comes to the grandparents. Yes. About reading the dictionary for hours. Did you have thoughts on that? Because it also comes up when Jody's talking about her brother. She says he only has three words in his vocabulary. Cool, gross, and weird. Uh, and weird. And that she got him a dictionary as a joke for Christmas once. And those two things come back to back. I don't know. It makes me wonder if Jody... I guess I don't have to wonder. It makes me think Jody's a little bit of a snob. Definitely. And that words are definitely power in mm-hmm. this in this oh, one. Absolutely. Then at the same time, we see a return to something that we saw in a lot of the earlier goosebumps, which is Mark is trying to get Jody to carry his bag for him. He's like, it's so heavy because it's full of his stuff. She says, no, do it yourself. You're lazy. But there's a definite wanting to be taken care of by a child who's there's a one year age difference. It's a real return to the first two books with Amanda in Welcome to Deadhouse and Margaret and stay out of the basement taking care of brothers that are essentially the same age as them. Mm -hmm. There's also a return to something we saw in Welcome to Camp Nightmare and You Can't Scare Me, which is the gendering of outdoor experience. Mark, I kind of pictured him as Gene from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, me too. He's an indoor child. Like me. Yeah. (laughs) And Jody feels that she has been deputized by her parents to make sure he gets outside because he needs to be kind of less weak. So she doesn't feel that. They explicitly told her it was her job to make sure he gets outside. 
I guess having been an older sibling myself, I thought maybe she decided she's the parents, but that was my my uh, <laughs> projection onto the plot. I mean, fair okay. enough. I was thinking that maybe it was just sort of an inappropriate parenting move, but sure. No, I think the two go hand in hand. A That's lot of time, true. older children are asked to parent. Yeah, yeah, to be deputies. Yeah. R.L. Stein, right? We've talked a lot about how in his books, really weird things will happen and everyone acts like, it's just fine and goes mm-hmm. back to normal. That's this entire book. So Stanley will say things like, Mr. Mortimer doesn't work on his farm anymore because he died. And Jody's like, haha, you never know what he's going to say. The weird thing is, it's all just classic R.L. Stein people saying weird things, but he gives it a reason in this book, which is that, that Stanley is somehow intellectually disabled. But yeah, so we get all of these moments of herbingerness, but it's laughed off. From the beginning, when they're on this truck ride home with Child Safety Watch, Mark (laughs) bouncing around in the back of the pickup truck. Um, Yeah, because Stanley has a hard time both being on the accelerator and making turns at the same time. It's really the trick of driving is to be able to do those things at the same time. Stanley starts saying to Jody, the scarecrows walk at midnight. I read it in a book. And Jody's just like, "Hmm, don't know. Let's let's just let's head on home. She also notes that there is a town. uh, So it's mostly farms. And there's a town that's so small that people just call it town. Yeah, I have a follow up about that when it comes to shared universe. Mm. We arrive at the grandparents farm. We meet Grandpa Kurt and Grandma Miriam. And right away, Jody is struck by how much they've aged and how much more frail they seem than the last time she saw them. Grandpa Kurt has a limp and he's now using a cane, which she hasn't seen before. It feels like a lot of this book is about her realizing that her grandparents are aging and that they're mortal and frail. That's a really hard real talk. Yeah, with regard to that issue, the first way that their aging is flagged is Grandpa Kurt walking with a cane and Grandma walking slowly and more awkwardly than she used to. And I thought there is this theme of mobility and immobility here with the scarecrows starting to be able to walk. So things that shouldn't walk can and things that should be able to be mobile aren't. The diminishing of her grandparents' capacity for being the agents of their own lives is what's horrifying. And then alongside that, the extension of Stanley, his power, those are two things that are troubling Jody, right? And we end up seeing that those two things really do go hand in. Also, so they're mom's parents. And I really want to read Goosepunks. If you're feeling like some fanfic on request, I want to read Jody and Mark's mother's Clarice Starling backstory. Clarice Starling, like Silent yeah, of the yeah. Lambs. Yeah, she came from this like farm, but now she's oh. moved to the city. And I just <laughs> feel like it would be a good opportunity for the line. Have the scarecrows stopped walking? <laughs> Dinner. Uh, oh, I also had a fashion watch moment. Oh, fashion. I just noted that Grandpa is wearing a red and green plaid shirt, baggy jeans, and white suspenders, and I was a little jealous. Yeah, suspenders. Yeah. I should get some suspenders. Should get some goosebumps suspenders. How cool would that be? That'd be really cool, actually. With, like, haunted mask motif on them or something? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's find it. Let's check Etsy after this. Let's make merch. Yeah. Suspender merch. Suspender merch. That seems like a niche in the market. Yeah. Food. There's some great food watching this book, as yeah. you have noticed. Uh, for lunch, they have split pea soup, potato chips, and sandwiches of some kind, and they do a little catching up. We find out that Jody plays basketball, and so I wondered if maybe she's on an opposing team to Sam and be careful what you wish for. Or is just one of the lesser girls on the same team? Well, their team is going to championships, so I don't oh, think you're right. it's Sam's so, no. team. <laughs> um, maybe after Sam has become a bird, their team, team is good again. It <laughs> gets better. Yeah, that's possible. She could be the only one dragging them down. Stanley starts choking, laughing when he finds out their dad is growing a mustache, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. We also find out that the cows are giving sour milk, and Stanley says that's bad luck. After lunch, Stanley is told to give them a tour of the farm, the, the kids, which I found really strange because presumably they go there every year for the summer and they don't need one. Mark does actually comment on why do we have to do this every year? I mean, so I think it's mostly an excuse for Earl Stein to show us the farm, but yeah. it's very weird to be like, now go be their tour guide, like every year. I guess there's a way of looking at it as Jody really wanting time not to move forward. She doesn't like seeing her grandparents age. She wants everything to be the same. I brought up this up at the beginning with regard to Field of Dreams, but she's nostalgic for her own childhood that she's still in. So she's mm-hmm. like, I can't wait to get to the farm. You know, Grandma will make me the same chocolate chip pancakes she always makes. And Grandpa Kurt will tell me the same ghost stories he always tells. Yeah. And we'll do the tour and it'll all be this idealized thing I've come up with. And then she finds out it kind of isn't. Although I think 
the tour is already a disappointment because she wanted to spend more time with her grandparents. They find a way to get them out of the house immediately. And we start seeing troubling things about the farm, which is the work isn't getting done. Mm -hmm. The barn needs painting. And at this point, I started thinking about that Edgar Allan Poe story, The System of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather. It's an 1845 story that's been adapted a bunch of times. It's the one where the inmates of the asylum have taken over. Yeah. And they've put all the doctors into the roles of patients and they're all pretending to be the doctors. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought at this point. Oh, this is what's happening. He's running things and grandma and grandpa can't say so. Yeah. I just thought Arlstein did a really good job conveying that sense of something being off, but that you couldn't quite put your finger on, you know? Mm -hmm. This is also when we learn about Stanley's son, Styx, who's a teenager. When they ask where he is, Stanley says he went to town riding on a pony, like in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Again, yeah, it's that thing where you're like, I guess we're just going to laugh, but that seems ominous. Yeah. Is what he's saying full of meaning that they're not understanding, you know? Yeah. Because he really, we find out with when we get into a superstition book, he has access to this arcane hidden knowledge that they don't comprehend. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if it's actually a superstition book. Oh, like, I, I want... A grimoire or something. I thought, of, I thought of grimoire also, yeah. Earlier, Grandma and Grandpa had said the corn is really sweet, but as Stanley's giving them the tour, he pulls down an ear and it turns out it's covered in worms, which he also says is bad luck. I don't feel like you need a superstition book to tell you that. Like, it's clearly just not, not good. It's really disgusting. They see a bunch of scarecrows, and Stanley keeps being cryptic. He said he made them walk, and now he's the boss. Yeah, he's being direct. Yeah, he's actually just stating the plot of the book. But they think, though, this must be one of his folk sayings or mm -hmm. a metaphor. The scarecrows, they sound kind of like the monster from Jeepers Creepers. Mm -hmm. You know, they have old tattered hats, burlap faces, and they're wearing tattered coats. They're made of straw. I think when we talk about different types of rural threats, Grandma and Grandpa are the real American type, virtuous, milk-fed, corn-fed, whatever, and doing relatively okay. And then the scarecrow is kind of the extreme of someone impoverished, living on the margins, unknown, unpredictable. And Well, so is Stanley. And Stanley, I think, is right in the middle between yeah. those two, right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit further towards the scarecrow. Although he lives in a house, right? He does live in a house. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's... Which he's, is on their land, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's not like... He's not destitute. He's not a vagabond. Correct. He's not a masterless man, right? Yeah. So therefore, it's okay. He's not as threatening because he works for someone. Mm -hmm. That's very true. This is also when we meet Styx. He plays a prank on Jody for the first time, Is makes it seem like one of the scarecrows is going to grab her, and he says he loves how easy it is to scare city kids. What did you think of Styx, just when we see his first appearance and everything? First appearance was interesting because he has long, black, unwashed hair. He's wearing a muscle shirt, He's... ripped jeans. First of all, I was like, oh, that's metal. And then I was wondering if it was going to end up being like the bullies and say cheese and die, where, oh, is this going to be our villain? Mm. Ultimately, not the case, which I was very happy about. But yeah, I was wondering if that's what we were being set up for. But that, again, turned out not to be the case. I feel like Sticks is the classic bad boy that you want to take care of. Yeah. For uh, my so-called life fans, he's the Jordan Catalano. So he's, yeah, I know you're shrugging, but trust me, he's the Jordan Catalano. <laughs> I believe you. Really cute, bad boy, but also he is in this really difficult position where he's having to take care of his father, uh, his mother, who knows where she is. She's not in the picture. She's never mentioned. Jody doesn't feel this way, but I could imagine a different version of the story where the girl protagonist is wanting to sort of save him. Mm -hmm. But good for Jody for breaking stereotypes. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Just doing other ones. Yeah. So that night, Jody continues to be upset about how changed her grandparents are. She notes that there's a stuffed brown bear that Grandpa shot on a hunting trip. He has yeah. some story about it. Eight feet tall. Grandpa said it was mauling two hikers and he saved them by shooting it. I feel like if it was mauling them, he probably didn't save them. I guess it depends how far along he was. But <laughs> one thing I was thinking about here is just with grandparents, especially as we've been talking about having kids ourselves, I have been thinking about the fact that as a grandchild relating to your grandparent, a lot of the times you're actually seeing the best version of them <laughs> on their best behavior. Mm -hmm. And so this could be partly Jody see, starting to see behind that facade mm -hmm. that your grandparents who treat you like just with so much love and are just excited to see you and like do all these cool things for you. They're actually people with a very big past that's full of sordid things. So her grandfather's a killer, right? Yeah. He's maybe horrible to the people that work for him. And so is their grandma. And so yeah. they're starting to see these other parts of their grandparents. Absolutely. 
Grandpa always tells them scary stories, but tonight he refuses. He just doesn't want to do it. And so both Jody and Mark are disappointed and kind of upset. Mark specifically wants to be told a story about the headless boy in the closet, <laughs> which is one Grandpa Kurt has told him before. Comments on that? I mean, I too wanted to know the story of the headless boy in the closet. What if it's a true story? What if Grandpa Kurt didn't just kill bears? I mean, they never look in the closets, do they? No. This was very sad with regard to aging because yeah. Grandpa Kurt is just staring into the fire. Grandma has this garden magazine on her lap, but she's not reading it. We know later that it's because of Stanley, but it also made me think of when my own grandfather had Alzheimer's, seeing him lose the ability to engage with the things he used to love. So when he could no longer do crossword puzzles or when he could no longer really follow baseball games on TV. And I feel like the book is kind of hitting on that a little bit too. I made a note of this. I mean, this was still the beginning of the book and I didn't know what happened yet, but I was wondering if there was going to be a possible reading where Jody just couldn't deal with their mortality and their aging. And so this is all sort of an elaborate mm. fantasy to sort of tell herself that they're not aging. They're just scared of Stanley. Yeah, I have, I have a similar reading. So I think we're on a similar wavelength. Mm -hmm. So that night we get to the scene that made little Andy close the book. What happens? Jody's looking out the window. There's this electric purple sky. She stares at the scarecrows and she sees them starting to move. And she thinks maybe it's the wind or maybe it's her imagination. But then they really are starting to move. And she gets Mark and he's like, yeah, they're trying to get off their stakes. And then they're like, I guess we'll tell people in the morning. What can you do at that point? The next morning, they want to tell their grandparents, but they're also very distracted by the fact that they love their grandma's chocolate chip pancakes and really want pancakes. They go down to the table for breakfast and they're extremely disappointed when they are served cornflakes for breakfast, mm -hmm. which they're being a little bratty to just demand, make these pancakes for us. Maybe grandma doesn't want to cook for you. Maybe she just wants you to eat your goddamn cereal. Right. Well, and when they're like, oh, you've always done it. I'm wondering how long has it been that she's been doing it? Mm -hmm. When you're 12, someone doing something five years in a row is always but yeah when you're 80 it's not yeah it's also striking because stanley is there again so i guess even though he lives on the property he always eats meals with them it seems like it seems at least some if not all of his pay comes in the form of room and Rent. board yeah problematic also fashion watch yeah mark wears a red and black nirvana shirt mm -hmm. he sounds cool I mean, he doesn't from the book. I think he sounds fun. He's like, I am going to hang out on an indoor porch in my Nirvana shirt in a hammock playing video games all summer while listening to cassettes. You're right. I'm Mark. And I think you're cool. <laughs> and I am very lucky. <laughs> The reason Grandma Miriam gives for no longer making pancakes is that they're, quote unquote, too fattening. My note here was just, that's kind of awkward. It's also weird that she would single out pancakes as too fattening, but not potato chips or, you know, cherry pie that they have later. Mm -hmm. One thing that we haven't touched on yet, but is important, I think, to one way of interpreting this book is that Jody has terrible allergies from the yes. moment she gets there. And so it comes up again over breakfast. She has these awful allergies and she's taking allergy meds. And she actually, at this point, thinks her grandmother is turning into a scarecrow, but it's actually just that she's holding a broom and Jody's like, ah, it must be my allergy meds. She's very suggestible, too. Aren't we all? She'd again been hoping to spend more time with her grandparents, but Stanley takes them fishing. Grandma packs a picnic basket full of Stanley's favorite foods. But before they can go to the creek, they have to circle the barn three times. And it takes Jody and Mark a minute to realize that that's what they're doing. And he explains to them that it's for luck and for good fishing. And he says he learned about it in his superstition book, which he said is, quote, a very hard book. That he has trouble with some of the words. So it sounds also like you were saying a grimoire. So maybe they're magic words. It also sounds like the Necronomicon mm -hmm. with words that are in a non-human language that humans can't really pronounce. I was also noting that Jody says, well, I guess it's okay to circle the barn because we need the exercise. And we keep getting allusions to her brother being lazy and needing exercise. And there was part of me that was wondering if this is an allusion to their weight. It's hard to tell. And it's also hard to tell because the goose verse is also the body dysmorphia verse. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear if it's just exercise is good and healthy or she is a 12-year-old girl growing into this mentality of like, gotta exercise, gotta exercise. Through her eyes, which is how we're seeing people everyone is extremely thin or extremely overweight which does sound like an eating disorder mentality speaking of disordered mentalities we get a gender watch when she judges mark for being too quote delicate for not wanting to stand in the creek while they're fishing mm -hmm. and then she falls in and then they make fun of her she kind of deserves it she goes off to try and dry off and she sees a scarecrow watching her scary Creepy. she tells them stanley is scared and he's cryptically muttering this is bad and he runs off to try and fix it. 
Jody runs after him, goes into the barn. The barn door closes behind her and she thinks it's a scarecrow. Luckily, she's able to climb out of the barn via a rope and an opening in the second story. But while she's trapped in there, we get this very scary sound of the footsteps, these straw footsteps scraping across the floor. I mean, I thought that was creepy. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to imagine what's scary about a scarecrow, though I guess we'll get into it. But this sound was sinister. Yeah, there are a lot of moments like that in this book where... The image is just so on point. Including this one where she looks out the barn window and she sees a scarecrow hurrying around the side of the barn, (laughs) which is funny, but fucked up. If you actually saw that, you'd be like, I'm both laughing and covered in sweat. Yes, exactly. It's similar to in Rosemary's Baby, the scene where she thinks she's in her apartment by herself and then we see the Satanist tiptoe by like they're, you know, Bugs Bunny or something. Yeah. It's both madcap and oh shit. Yes, exactly. She gets out of the barn and she runs into sticks and she figures it's been him the whole time. When he hears what she has to say, he freaks out and says, don't tell my dad, don't tell your grandparents, because his dad could do something terrible. And it seems like his dad is about to do something terrible because they can't find him till dinner. He shows up and he's brought his book with him and he is just obsessively reading it over dinner and he moves his lips as he reads, which seems like a problem when you have a book that's full of spells. Yes, it does. (laughs) Maybe down the line in theories, that might explain some of what's going on here. Actually, just inadvertently doing stuff. I think that's true. I also am wondering, at this point, might be a good moment to ask, do you think this is a manuscript or a printed book? So is this a book, like the dictionary say, that he went and got and it has printed stuff in it? Or is this, what I was almost picturing was a collection of stuff handed down from person to person that has stuff written Mm. in, maybe smears of blood here and there, some strange feathers pasted in, like a fucked up scrapbook. I was picturing something more like that, but maybe still bound, Mm -hmm. not just loosely for, you know, someone has taken the time to put all of this knowledge together. In a three ring binder with dividers. (laughs) No, I was thinking more like... Like bound in human skin. Yeah. Like maybe not literally, but yes, that's what I was thinking. About. Yeah, totally. Actually, I was thinking a little bit about in the book version of Haunting of Hill House, which you should all read. It's very different from any of the film adaptations. There's this whole section where they describe the book that the founder of the house had, and it's lessons for his children but they're really sinister like biblical lessons gone wrong there's parts where he talks about their like blood connection or something and there's a smear of red on it and there's parts about burning in the flames of hell and there's like a smear of soot on it Mm -hmm. and uh it's sensorially intense and also really really messed up i've really got to reread it well anyway that's kind of what i was picturing Mm -hmm. The grandparents are pointedly ignoring him reading at the table. They just keep passing more food to the kids. Jody is also perturbed because grandma made a pie, but it's not apple, which is grandpa's favorite. It's cherry, which is Stanley's favorite. And grandpa's allergic to cherry. Well, it's kind of like your beef with Evan where Aunt Catherine said he'd make a pie, but then she only made oatmeal cookies. Yeah, exactly. He was all mad about it. Yeah, that's right. It's been a minute since that book. There's a sad part in this evening, too, where they ask Grandpa Kurt for stories again, and he says, I've run out of stories. Yeah. Very sad. That night, Jody has a dream that is also rendered in really terrifying way, which is that basically her grandparents are scarecrows, that grandpa's trying to choke her, and that her grandma's face is painted on images that are really effective and creepy. Well, also, similar to what I was saying about the slight touch on pedophilia in the opening when Stanley's complimenting Jody's appearance and getting embarrassed, here, her grandpa creeps in through her window at night and is leaning over her bed, and she's telling him to go away and he won't stop. Yeah. And it's hard to read that without thinking of a molestation reading. Yes. Yes, exactly. I was thinking that, too. Yeah, but, I didn't yeah. know if I should bring it up or not. but it's... I know, No, I thought about it, too. I was like, oh, he's coming into your room at night, and yeah. There's a part right before that dream where Jody's staring at the ceiling and she's looking at the cracks in it and they start to look to her like a lightning bolt or like an old man with a beard. First of all, that gives you this idea, well, your eyes are always playing tricks on you, right? They mm-hmm. can turn something that you know isn't anything into something that you're thinking about. Much like Jenny in The Babysitter. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, maybe like Jody looking at the scarecrows, it could be the same thing as when she looks at the cracks in the ceiling. But I also thought, old man with a lightning bolt, who do you think of? Zeus? Yeah. And Zeus did take up a scythe and kill Kronos in order to put himself up as the new boss. So maybe he's a little bit of a Stanley. Yeah, good call. Thank you. The next morning, Jody goes down and sees Grandma Miriam with still no pancakes. She <laughs> she claims she's forgotten how to make them. 
Also, the scarecrows are all doing sun salutations. Yeah. Um, she says they're, they've got their arms outstretched, uh, welcoming this, the sunrise. <laughs> Grandma Miriam tells her that the men have left, but they saddled up two horses for Jody and Mark. And this is another instance where Jody wants to spend time with her grandparents, but it's being sort of shooed out of the house for an activity. Also, the two of them are noted as being not very good riders, but they're still sent out alone. With and, no helmets. Yeah. And they predictably had have an accident. It's not just because they're bad riders it's also because a scarecrow runs out in the middle of the road and both of their horses rear yeah and again i still think dr deep shouldn't have let the kids go swimming in shark infested water <laughs> i know we disagree about that but i think this is a similar type of thing where yes their grandparents aren't as concerned about them not getting hurt that though i could see they run a farm probably their mom grew up riding horses and was fine with it so they also might not have a good grasp on what their grandchildren's skill mm, set is yeah what they don't know which yeah. is most things yes Jody comes up with another possible scenario that's happening here, which is maybe sticks through the scarecrow into her path. And she thinks, you know, we could have been killed. So that's actually very scary, too. The idea yeah. that someone here wants to kill us, mm-hmm. uh, like a real person. But she makes what I think is a big mistake, which is she goes over and kicks the scarecrow. I'm like, oh, dude. No. Don't do that. Don't do it. But she's willing to think the scarecrows are malicious. She's willing to think sticks are sticks is malicious. But she's really not willing to stop and think about her grandparents' potential maliciousness. Mm-hmm. Or Stanley's even. Um, That's true. She really wants to trust the adults around her. Mm-hmm. Stanley finds them and brings them back to the grandparents' house. We have another food watch where they are served ham sandwiches and coleslaw. Yep. I like coleslaw. Oh, well, I don't like ham sandwiches. Yeah, I don't either. And I'm picturing it being that, like, really mayonnaise-y coleslaw that's, like, the little strips, like, you get at KFC. I guess I'm just picturing what they give you as a side at Veggie Galaxy, which is good. Good job. (laughs) Okay, we have a difference of opinion about that food situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I I want a ham sandwich. I just thought, like, ah, coleslaw. Mark has, it turns out he has sprained his wrist from the fall. He is super excited because it means he can stay inside and play video games. Yeah, I get him. (laughs) (laughs) You know what bothers me about coleslaw? is it looks similar to me the mayonnaise kind mm-hmm. looks like if you have a bag of salad and it started to go bad and it's kind of slimy that's what it always makes me think of that's fair but we can cut that no why <laughs> i don't know <laughs> teach the controversy <laughs> jody goes looking for sticks and she finds some weird stuff in the barn which is a pile of burlap bags paint so the things that uh, stanley's been using to make all these extra scarecrows and then a dozen torches next to a bottle of kerosene. Mm-hmm. So dangerous place, this farm. Yeah. And she runs into sticks and they kind of have a little bit of a spat. And she comes up with a terrible plan, which is the you can't scare me plan. Yes. So she's going to dress Mark up as a scarecrow and have him scare sticks. And I'm like, remember how they have guns here? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that too. Oh, my God. I know. But they go ahead with this plan, and it goes the you can't scare me way. Jody dresses Mark up as a scarecrow because as older sibling, she doesn't have to do it. She really gives him good padding. He's complaining about being itchy, and she says, no, more straw, more straw. <laughs> yeah, and she's also complaining about her own allergies, too. She's, again, allergic to everything she's touching. So then she goes to get sticks so they can set their plan in motion because she wants sticks to encounter Mark in a cornfield, the scarecrow's natural environment. She goes to get him, they're talking, and then a scarecrow comes up behind them, and Jody is thinking, damn it, Mark, you have to ruin everything. But then they realize it's not Mark. It's not, and the scarecrow starts trying to choke her. It's bad. And Styx explains his dad had brought the scarecrows to life through chanting some words from his book. He scared the grandparents and made them promise not to laugh at him anymore and to do everything he said. Yeah. So it seems like the grandparents have been kind of abusing Stanley, and Stanley got his revenge. It's really sad. And then, yeah, my note here is also, is this about organized labor? Because he has the power of all of these other scarecrows, which he can also make, which is convenient, and he can use them against the owners. Yes, I 100% saw this as a worker uprising. And also, where it went wrong, though, is that Stanley actually couldn't control these scarecrows and they started to they, he couldn't he couldn't get them to sort of I don't know go back to sleep mm-hmm. that's literally what they call it he has created something more powerful than he is by himself and so it can't just be used to do his bidding the scarecrows seem to have their own agenda yeah I really want to talk about what that is too mm-hmm. and why why they have this desire to kill all the humans so when Styx had seen the other scarecrow he threw it on the ground and that seemed to stop it from being there Stanley came out and had seen that scarecrow. Sticks was saying, no, 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 I just dumped it there. It wasn't alive. He doesn't want his dad to know. And then Mark comes out of the cornfield dressed as a scarecrow because he's like, are you guys going to come do the prank or not? And then Stanley freaks the fuck out and says he has to wake up all of the scarecrows. 
I'm not sure why. I think he's hoping he can get control over them again if he says the same chant that he says before. So he runs out into the field to start this chant. Grandma Miriam and Grandpa Kurt wake up and they're completely useless. So the scarecrows are out there chasing Stanley and sticks around the field and Grandpa Kurt goes, there's nothing we can do. (laughs) They're just mad because they've worked so hard, they say, to keep Stanley from being upset. But we find out from sticks that all of this, the scarecrow stuff, started a week ago. So they're just mad because they had to be nice to Stanley for a week. I know, they're terrible. Also, there are so many things you could potentially do. They're just completely unwilling to do it. I guess they're not used to working. Yeah. They call themselves farmers, (laughs) but it seems like they mostly just read gardening magazines and tell other people to do the farming. (laughs) So we get kind of a horror land ending here. We do. Yeah, the scarecrows come up and start surrounding them menacingly. Jody sneezes because of her allergies, and Mark is surprised, and he jumps and yelps, and then all the scarecrows jump and yelp. Mark waves his hand, and all the scarecrows wave their hand. And Jody realizes, oh, they think he's the king scarecrow and they're mm-hmm. all imitating him. So in a super dark move, she's like, Mark, rip your scarecrow head off. So then all the scarecrows behead themselves. They it's do. It's very much Night of the Living Dummy. It is. But also it doesn't matter because they just made them. Yeah, that's yeah. not where their yeah. power is coming from. And then they're not impressed by Mark anymore because they realize he's a human. And they're like, oh, what a, what a poser. Yeah. And they're coming for everyone. And Styx comes and saves the day by bringing torches and setting them all on fire. Yeah, it was actually a pretty easy solution. Although a very, again, it's a bloodbath, you know? Yeah. Or um, a bloodbath without blood, like a, with hay. Yeah, you know? the hay bath. Yeah. Well, and so at this moment, I kind of thought, you know, Styx is honestly the hero here. He saved them from this. He's been trying to keep it all together. And Jody sort of has this self-aggrandizing moment when you say the sneeze thing. It's one of those cliffhanger chapter enders where she said, and then I did something that changed the entire night. I sneezed. And and that's and because what she did is cause Mark to react, which is how they figured out about the scarecrows. She's making herself into the hero. Like, I'm the one who figured this out. But A, she just sneezed. And B, it didn't matter because that's not what kept the scarecrows back. It was sticks saying, we have to set them on fire because they're made out of hay. I agree, agree with you completely. That was a total fake out. And Jody's taking credit where she ought not. I also was very much bothered by the question of how the scarecrows could see. Maybe they don't need to. Maybe they use echolocation. Oh, and so they were like echolocating the straw and they're mm-hmm. like, ah, another straw creature. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> if they could see, they could probably see it was a person, mm-hmm. right? I also just thought straw is apparently scary. The way R.L. Stein describes these scarecrows choking and smothering the two children and, mm-hmm. and then that they smell sour and decaying. It yeah, like, it was such an intense image. They're smothering the kids. Yeah, yeah, and they smell like rotting parts of the land, like it's mm-hmm. gone wrong in some way. And that, yeah. that was effective scare, as was the actual ending. Yeah. Stanley promises he is not going to read from the scarecrow part of the book anymore. Take his book. <laughs> Why didn't anyone take the book away? I don't know. Because the old power dynamic seems to have returned, and he's just reading other parts. <laughs> And so Jody is hanging out in the living room and the bear that we mentioned comes to life. And I had this total brain fart moment when I forgot that there was a big stuffed bear in the living room. And so I was like, oh, it's a teddy bear come to life. That's a funny ending. And then as we were talking, I was like, oh, no, it was an eight foot taxidermied real bear. Yeah. And that's the ending. Which I thought was a pretty, pretty great ending. Actually. Yeah. And she goes, Stanley, what chapter are you reading from? Uh-huh. <laughs> as far as the ending to the burning up of the scarecrows i think okay i'm bringing up the simpsons twice now but if you remember there's an itchy and scratchy version of the sorcerer's apprentice where scratchy chops up all the little broomstick things or i guess in this case they're the little mouse chops them up into like tiny tiny bits but then that just makes them microscopic and he breathes (laughs) them in and they start chopping him from the inside out and that image also scared me a lot as yes. a kid. And so that's kind of what I pictured is what if they burned up the scarecrows, but now they're just all inside of their lungs somewhere, you know? Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean that their power has ended. Yeah, we know nothing about how they work. Yeah, exactly. Or what they want. Should we talk about taxonomies? We should. Do you want to start? Uh, sure. Well, we can start with scarecrow horror. I was thinking about scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. Um, which has a similar scene and obviously Jeepers Creepers also... So what is scary specifically about scarecrows? I think sometimes it's this idea, it's almost like what we get in robot horror too, where it's this idea that there's this human-shaped thing that wants to be a real boy, you know, like Pinocchio. And so it's maybe going to try and steal your organs. It's going to maybe try and take over your position. It doesn't want to work for you anymore. So I saw a little bit of iRobot in the background here. Yeah, what about you? 
At the very beginning, I was reminded of the hand that rocks the cradle because we have a similar benevolent disabled person in that that's even more problematic because there's an added racial dynamic. I was also reminded of the M. Night Shyamalan movie The Visit, which is about these Mm -hmm. kids going to visit their grandparents who they've never met. And then there's also dementia, but we find out psychosis. And the quote-unquote grandfather keeps saying to them, we're sorry your grandparents are so disappointing. Yeah. Dead Pantone, yeah. That's so good stoking of the guilt. I think aging horror, which is part of what this book is about, I also thought about The Visit, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, and also The Taking of Deborah Logan. Yes. So aging horror, you can put under the umbrella of disability horror. Slash body horror. Yeah. Yeah. A useful term in disability studies is the term temporarily able-bodied, which is all of us. Mm -hmm. If you're not already disabled, you're temporarily able-bodied because at some point you will become disabled. And so basically part of what Jody's having to confront is different types of limitations that she finds horrifying because she wants to be capable, right? That's what she's always goading her brother into also. Like you need to be able to, you know, go out in nature and fish and stuff like that yeah so her she has a horror of disability mm-hmm. i also saw a touch of zombie horror here with the all the scarecrows rising up mm-hmm. remind me a bit of girl with the girl with all the gifts fantastic take on that genre there's a similar scene where they have to sort of pretend to be zombies to get through this horde of zombies and that felt a little bit like the thing with mark where as soon as it's revealed oh you're not actually one of us we'll tear you to bits yeah absolutely so there's a big elephant in the room we haven't talked about yet which is obviously rural horror it's very very stark in this and in a lot of horror in thinking about this i went back and looked at harold clover's book men women and chainsaws which we've talked a lot about on the pod Carol Clover has a whole chapter about the urban-rural divide, and she talks about it in the context of revenge stories, and specifically rape revenge stories. She starts with Deliverance, talks about I Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left. Ooh, yeah. I think she groups Hills Have Eyes maybe somewhere else, but it's, yeah, no, maybe it's in there. I don't remember. Hills yeah. Have Eyes was the one I kept thinking of, especially Michael Berryman's character I saw kind yeah. of in Stanley. She talks about how a lot of American pop culture has to do with revenge stories. She says vengeance may well be the mainstring of American pop culture. Mm. And she points out that a huge amount of horror is about urbanites or suburbanites visiting the city or the country and then suddenly being cut off from the apparatus of the state, right? The law doesn't reach here. They see, you know, what they perceive to be all of these problems, such as patriarchy run amok is one she cites, where we see that in something like The Hills Have Eyes, right? Where this is one guy and he's running this clan in this super backwards way. She says another one is country people. And again, this is the trope of the country person, not literal country people. Country people live beyond the reaches of social law. So here she means stuff like maybe they're unkempt or don't have the same sort of rarefied manners. Or or... incestuous. Exactly. All of these sort of social rules. Which is where the rural and the disability horror overlap with each other is in the the breaking of the inbreeding taboo that horror imagines is always happening in the country. Yes, exactly. And so she says, one of the obvious things in the city-country split of horror films, in short, is social class. The confrontation between the haves and the have knots or even more directly between the exploiters and their victims Mm -hmm. because often the people who emerges you know the point of view characters the heroes or whatever except in something like tucker and dale versus evil they are part of an economy that exploits the country in order for the city to thrive right basically the most common horror scenario you run into then is the civilized urbanites are separated from the system of supports that silently keeps their privileges intact. Mm-hmm. I think that the scarecrow is a really nice metaphor for this because they're dressed up like a poor farm laborer mm-hmm. and they're also made up of the stuff of the farm, the straw and things like that that this farm produces. And they've been reduced to just your function is to guard this land. We've put you up here. You have to do this now. And so them wreaking revenge is kind of an image of how the body of the laborer who's been violated and made marginalized for the purposes of accruing wealth for the farm owner is coming back for vengeance. I was thinking about this too when I thought it was eerie that Grandma Miriam and Grandpa Kurt were saying, oh, the corn is extra sweet this year. And I was immediately thinking of the Johnny Depp movie slash Stephen King short story secret window secret Mm -hmm. garden where the corn is sweet because he's buried his wife in the yard and it's really gross and she's fertilizing the corn it's a common symbol to think of the blood of the worker as being what makes the corn grow and so when they're eating the corn they're eating these other people's harmed bodies basically 
going off of that, Carol Clover also talks about how basically through these plots of, you know, city folk being attacked, and then also by showing all of these tropes that I just mentioned, right, the patriarchy and lack of social norms, etc. The exploitation of the country by the city is then justified. Yeah, you, you can have a revenge plot because they they deserved it. And so you don't have to also feel bad about the exploitation. Mm-hmm. So then she makes a really interesting move, which is to say the tropes of rape revenge movies and all, all those things I just mentioned are also the tropes of Westerns in specifically settler versus is Indian Westerns. Mm. So in both of these stories, she's saying the people who are in the country are figured as indigenous peoples on the verge of being deprived of their native lands. And the force of the demonizing derives from just this issue of land and genocide guilt. She is seeing in these rape revenge stories and in these stories that make these horrible others of often, you know, quote unquote, rednecks of white people in the country as also a metaphor about settler colonialism Mm. and justifying settler colonialism in America. I can totally see that in this, especially because it revolves around corn so much. Mm -hmm. Carol Clover's a smart lady. Yeah, well, and I agree, especially with this idea of the acknowledgement of guilt at the same time being a doubling down on disgust. Mm -hmm. So, for example, seeing someone, say, dressed shabbily or missing teeth say and saying, well, that's obviously because of the way this person has been impoverished and therefore the person who is impoverishing them is guilty and, you know, deserves the vengeance that comes to them. And then at the very same time saying, ew, how gross that person looks scary. Mm -hmm. Like the horror films about rural people are usually doing both at once. Yeah. And then in saying, because that person is angry about their impoverishment, they then pose a threat that needs to be suppressed, which is also what's happening on this farm. Along these lines, there's a great essay by the journalist Sarah Smith marsh called poor teeth which is about how that that dentistry issue issue you were just talking about and how it's actually one of these markers you can't get rid of and Mm -hmm. people feel empowered to judge you for it i mean and this same acknowledgement of guilt slash doubling down on hatred it happens in disability revenge stories too like richard the third or nessa in wicked you know the sister alphabet sister Mm -hmm. uh, or or the characters in freaks Did you want to get into Shared Universe? I'd love to get into Shared Universe. I think I know one of the places you probably went. I mean, you probably do. Night of the Living Dummy? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's so there. Yeah. So I was wondering if specifically what he reads to wake up these things is is the same as what was in Mr. Wood's pocket. I was wondering the same thing. And I was wondering if the little piece of paper that's in Mr. Wood's pocket, did Stanley rip it out of his book at some point because he didn't want to have that danger anymore? Or did someone else have the book before Stanley and take that page out? But I definitely think that that is where the spell came from. Or Lovecraft style, is there a hidden cult that passes this knowledge around and circulates it throughout the Gooseverse? Well, that makes me think then maybe whatever these scarecrows want is the same thing that Mr. Wood and Slappy want, which is to be the boss. Yeah. Which is also what Stanley wants. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I also just was thinking along these lines, just how powerful books in the Gooseverse are, Mm -hmm. um, unsurprisingly, (laughs) for self-interested reasons. But even when it's not something like doing a magic spell, it can be something like in The Girl Who Cried Monster, where Mr. Mortman is using the book to communicate ideas to someone who's not actually listening to him. But (laughs) but Lucy could learn about herself if she actually read Frankenstein on his suggestion. It's fine. She saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Frankenstein, I thought it's possible Styx is a early draft of these scarecrows. I mean, his name is Styx. So maybe oh. <laughs> maybe Stanley made him Victor Frankenstein style out or of... Or Dr. Brewer style. Either one. Yeah. Ooh, good one. Because out of plants, <laughs> yeah. right? And brought him to life. And he's also not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one so much. No, but you know I, I respect it I respect well it. why is his name sticks I mean I know it it's says, a really dumb name yeah it says it's because he's skinny too like really skinny yeah but they don't give a when we met Hat and You Can't Scare Me we were told that he had a given name which was Herbie Sticks doesn't if he does we don't learn it yeah but I would say we have scarecrows made of straw we have sticks who I think might be made of sticks <laughs> which means next we're gonna have one made of bricks right if we follow <laughs> I guess the next book will settle whether or not this theory will hold water. Yeah, it'll be called She's a Brick House, parentheses literally. (laughs) She's a scary brick house. Yeah. (laughs) The cover will be just an angry brick house. Did you have any other shared universe? No, that was it for me. The only other thing I had shared universe is in my pet theory that all of the world of Goosebumps is a series of flat platform games 
uh, style levels that you can jump between. Maybe this is a platform where there's only one town and only one city, and that's why they refer to them as the city and town. Yeah. And maybe the Mortimer house is the, the portal house. Ooh, well, yeah. They're, they're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. that guy's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it right. doesn't, but okay. <laughs> um, well, I just think it's always a house where something, something or, has gone wrong or someone has died. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, kind of like in The Grudge, and it gives mm-hmm. it this power, yeah. warping power. <laughs> what alternate explanations, open questions, other things came up for you? The only other thing, and we've touched on it already a little bit, but is in this story specifically, what do the scarecrows want? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have an answer. Except, to, yeah, I guess you're right, to be the boss, probably. To be the boss, to suffocate, to choke, mm-hmm. it seems like. Okay, so here's one thought. They are Jody's allergies come to life. So she's allergic to straw and hay and grasses, mm-hmm. and they're stuffed with straw and hay and grasses. And they're trying to choke her and smother her, which is what allergies do. So it's a all of this is a metaphor for her allergies? It could be that. Or it could be literally allergens are coming for her and they mm. become animate and sentient, which yeah. is also very scary. She also could be either having hay fever hallucinations. Mm-hmm. That's part of what this is. So that would make a lot of sense, yeah. She even says it herself. She says, I think my allergies must be getting to me. And it's true. Like, when I was in um, Montana or North Dakota one time... Uh, there was all this cottonwood. I'm horribly allergic to it. And I got out of the car and I could not stop sneezing. My parents were like, we're going to walk around this park. And I sneezed like every two seconds for like half an hour straight. And I was like dizzy and just couldn't see. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, it can yeah. really get to you. <laughs> did did Big Cottonwood Cannon bother you? No, it's only when it's actually blowing around. Oh, I see. Or alternatively, she says that she ran out of her allergy medicine. And what if, like a similar to, you know, in the book It, where the boy thinks he has an inhaler, but it's actually just fake medicine. Mm-hmm. What if she's been told that she has allergy medicine, but it's actually antipsychotics? Oh, I and like she's that reading. off of them, and so she's seeing scarecrows chasing her. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Also, where are the rest of the freaking townspeople? I don't know. We never visit town. Are the scarecrows the townspeople? Maybe they want to be. Mm. Yeah, maybe they don't want to live in the country. Maybe they want to live in towns. Well, I enjoyed this book about sinister crafting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> What's up next? Up next, we have Go Eat Worms. Uh, man, R.L. Stein was in a dark period <laughs> when he wrote these two. A lot of worms have been cropping up in different things we've been reading, so I guess he's been building through this moment. Go Eat Worms is one that I think a lot of people have issues with, mm. just as getting grossed out by or ma- be- having been made to feel very guilty because <laughs> of reading. So I'm excited to revisit it. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts about The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. What are your theories? Do you have questions? You can get in touch on Instagram and Twitter at SayPodAndDie. You can also email us at SayPodAndDie at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear your takes on this classic text. Oh, I forgot to ask you. How many bewares would you give The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight? This is a four and a half for me. Mm. How about you? I think a four. Do you realize that we didn't mention Children of the Corn specifically? Yeah. We're mentioning it specifically now. We didn't forget. This is also <laughs> like Children of the Corn. Yeah. Because being surrounded by a cornfield is scary because you yeah. don't know who's in it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you gave it four, you say? Four. Because like I, think... I thought there were scary images. It was well plotted. Enjoyed it. I would say it is a book that really went there for me in, mm-hmm. in many levels. And mm-hmm. I was I was impressed. Yeah. Please be sure to leave us five bewares on iTunes. If you rate, review, and subscribe, it helps us reach more goose punks. Listener beware. Those were the scares. Good boo. Good boo. Grandpa Kurt's face was the same, the face I had always known, except that his eyes were so cold, so cold and dead. The straw hands brushed over my face as I climbed to my feet. I took a step back, raising my hands like a shield. Grandpa, what's wrong? What's happening? His feet scraped over the bare floors and lurched towards me. Glancing down, I saw the straw poking out from the cuffs of his hands. His feet, they were straw too. He swung an arm. The straw scratched my back as it swept over me. I cried out again as I collided with Grandma Miriam. Oh, help! Please, Grandma Miriam! He's chasing me! Her expression didn't change. She stared back at me. In the dim light of the hallway, her face came into focus, and I saw that her glasses were painted on, and her eyes, and her mouth, and big, round nose. Her entire face was painted.